Awesome. Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hands. Open our hearts to God this morning, this evening, whatever time it is. Doesn't really matter. Just, just lift your hands wherever you're standing. I just invite you to do that as a sign of surrender. I want us to pray. I reckon, the, I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister. We just had such an awesome time of worship. And uh, but let's honor God. Let's open our hearts. Holy Spirit, we just honor your presence. We want to make room for you. We want to make a way for you, Jesus. And Lord, right now, Lord, we just acknowledge that it's only you, God. Jesus, it's only, it's only the, your, the reality of your presence that makes a difference in our lives. Lord, we, we acknowledge that our human effort can achieve no spiritual blessing. Lord, our human effort can achieve no, no righteousness. Our human effort can achieve no miracles. Lord God, it's only you. And Lord, we choose to believe in you. Lord, we believe in your grace. Lord, we believe in your love for us. We believe in your hand extended to us. We believe in your care for us. Lord, into every single circumstance of our life. And Lord, we choose to set apart our hearts tonight. Lord, just like we've set apart this time to be together in your presence. And Lord, we've done that because we know, Lord God, that you transform us. You draw near to us when we draw near to you. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You can grab a seat. And uh, it's good to be in church, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's really good to be in church. And uh, I want to apologize. I've got, uh, I was, I was going to wear a different shirt, but I left it at home. Uh, so I do wear my touch rugby wearing shirt uh, to preach. But I'm pre- I believe it's going to be more anointed uh, because it's more relaxed. Uh, it's definitely smellier. I did say this morning that we kick people out of church for BO, and um, how many people are glad that that's not true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be less of us here, wouldn't there? Very, very good. Very good. Well, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab it out? And uh, we're going old school at Equippers. How many people like going old school? Yeah. How many people? What's your favorite? What's your favorite old school song? You said you danced it at the primary school. Your favorite old school song, Laura. That girl group. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. That one? No, not that one. Mark, favorite old school song? Sing it. Sing it, Mark, sing it. <laughs> Nossa, your favorite old school song? Sing it out, sing it out. No, no. Richard, favorite old school song? He's not forbid to sing. He's not forbid to sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luther, favorite old school song? Oh, never heard. I haven't heard that. Haven't heard that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Rachel, Rachel, favorite old school song? Oh. Ooh, uh, if you feel the presence of God, you feel the presence of God. <laughs> You know, we're taking old school, and, um, you know, it's convenient as it is to have the Bible on your smartphone. Uh, do you know there's this old school thing called a book? Uh, and you can get the Bible in book form. How many people knew that? Yeah. And we're encouraging people, if you've got a book Bible, bring it along to church. If you don't have one, why don't you get one? Uh, you can go to the bookshop and buy one and uh, bring it along to church. If you've got a book one, you can write in it the things that God speaks to you. Uh, how many people know this is true, that a blunt pencil is better than a sharp mind. A blunt pencil is better than a sharp mind. And you know, half of the things that God says to you, you forget before you've got to the morning tea, right? Because you're racing out there. 
Got to get to there before the spring rolls is gone. Uh, and uh, you feel, we found people have ever been in church and thought, man, God spoke to me so powerfully, right? And then you're driving home, you're like, oh, what's for lunch? And then you actually can't ever remember again. People, you say, even say, have you even said to people, man, it was such an awesome sermon. Pastor Putty was preaching like amazing. And they say, oh, wow, what did he preach about? And you're like, I don't, I don't know, like, it's about Jesus and and the Bible, and the devil, and the, and the deep blue sea. It was awesome. Uh, and so we're just encouraging people, get a notebook to write stuff down and get a Bible um, to write things down. Do you know what I've been doing is doing my devotions in my book, and then writing my sermon in the book. And then when I'm going, when I've got, like, so I've got my devotions, and I uh, last week heard, listening to Joe preach, I was writing things down, and it was cool seeing God speaking to me during the week, and then confirming it on a Sunday in the same book. Is that all right? Nice, simple plan. Who like who reckons it's a good plan? Yeah, I reckon it's a good plan. And it's not a rule, though. It's not a rule. There's no rules. It's just that it's, we're just recommending it as a great way to connect with what God's saying to you. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 4. I want to read this long passage of Scripture again. Uh, Betty's going to throw it on the screen. It's actually Hebrews chapter 3. My bad. She's been texting me, man, there's not enough verses in chapter 4. I'm like, what do you mean? It's a, uh, anyhow, give a shout out to Maddie and Jack, the, the most diligent people in Equippers Wellington. Uh, you got to read the book of Hebrews. It's pretty awesome. And uh, this is really early on. And it's talking about this, this, this dynamic in Scripture that happens right from the first chapter, the first book, the first book, the first chapter, the first book, Genesis chapter 1, this creation story. This dynamic happens in Scripture. And uh, what happens is God makes the whole world in how many days? No. Ah, that was my trick question. God made the world in how many days? He made the world in six days, and then he created a whole new space called rest, the Sabbath. And then from that moment, there's all these different references to the, the fact that God creates special spaces for people to be in. The Garden of Eden was created, uh, we read about it, chapter 2, God created a special space, and then he put mankind inside that space. And then through the story of Abraham, we know Abraham's called out from his family. Yeah, and he's called out, and God says, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and uh, he takes him out of his, his comfort zone, out of his family, out of his culture, and brings him into a new place. How many people know that story? Heard that story, Abraham, right? And then uh, we're reading here about the children of Israel. Hebrews chapter 3 is talking about their story, their big story where they come out of Egypt, and God is trying to bring them out from Egypt from a place of slavery, and he brings them into the wilderness, the desert. They go through the desert, and then God is trying to bring them in to somewhere else called the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? If you think about what that means, it just means that you get the good life. So it's flowing with milk and honey. It's got all the good things, right? So it's the milk of life without the hard work required to get it. It's the honey of life, the sweet things of life without the bees to sting you, right? How many people know you can get the sweet stuff whenever you want? You can get the sweet life whenever you want, but you, can't, you always get the bees with it. It's only in God that we find the sweet things, the things that we deeply desire in our heart without the things that are going to hurt us as well, right? And that's what we find in this place of God, Sabbath, promised land. And this is the story we can read about. So just check it out. There's some cool things in here. We'll, I'll read it and talk as we go. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. 
There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. How many years? 40 years. They still didn't believe. So I was angry with them. So this is the story. God brings them out of the wilderness, and then for 40 years, God does these miracles, and they still can't believe that God can save them. They still don't trust God. They still don't rely on God. And so God gets angry, and He says this, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. This is God makes an oath. He says, They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then. How many people are feeling like we should be careful? Yeah, if God's going to be taking oaths about us, let's be careful. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts, everyone look to your own heart, look at your own heart. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil. Okay, just check for evil. Uh, and, and unbelieving. Not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still called today so that no one, or none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember, that's what it says. Today, when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Verse 16, and who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? Question mark. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of what? Their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. And what's his rest? It's the Sabbath. It's the promised land. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. In the New Testament, the words that are used to describe this place and this space is the the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the place of God, the presence of Jesus. We don't get to enter into what God has for us if we live in unbelief. What was it that kept these people out of the promised land? It talks about their sin. It talks about their hard hearts. But it says there right at the end, it wraps it all up. And it says, because they didn't believe God, they couldn't enter into God's rest. They couldn't enter into what God had for them. Um, A few years ago, I was visiting one of my favorite places in the whole world, uh, the kingdom of Tonga. As Pastor Reggie would say, Tonga. Uh, And uh, it was cool, fun visiting Tonga. And um, and uh, I, one time I was in Tonga for five days, and I put on five kilograms. Uh, and uh, we ate lots and lo- a lot of barbecue, and, uh, and it was an awesome time, awesome time. And uh, I one time, the first time we were visiting there, we were driving along from the airport. And you know, when you go somewhere you've never been before, you're just looking, you're just looking at everything. It's like, wow, so cool, so different. You know, there's pigs and dogs and uh, coconut palms. And, and we're driving along, and, you know, the uh, Pastor Matali's Tongan car. You know, uh, you know, he's going as fast as possible, you know, at 45 kilometers an hour on the highway. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just awesome, you know, no seatbelts and just chilling out. Uh, and uh, as we drive along, I was asking, you know, oh, what's this? And I was trying to get my bearings. So I love to know, I love to know which direction I was trying to figure out where's north, south. Because I've always l- looked it on a map and, 
You know, do you ever get that? You always do that before you go somewhere. You look on the map so you always know where you're going. Yeah, I do that. So Christine doesn't need to. And uh, and uh, we're just looking around. And um, we drove past this, like, look like farmland, some plantation. And there's a bunch of guys there sort of standing around working. And it didn't quite look like a farm. It didn't quite look like a garden. And it had a, it had a fence around it, uh, which I hadn't seen many fences. And it was sort of like, you know, a fence about this high. Maybe, maybe about that high, a bit lower in some places. And it had three or four strings of barbed wire around it. And I was like, wow, that's sort of a different... Obviously, you don't want the, you know, the one, the taro escaping or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I said, oh, what's that? What's that space there? There's a few buildings in the background. There's a bunch of guys standing around smoking the cigarettes. And I'm, oh, you know, what's that? And uh, Pastor Martelli said, oh, that's the prison. I was like, really? It's a prison? <laughs> you know, because I'm, you know, in Auckland, the prison, you know, Auckland prison looks like a prison. You know, it actually looks like a medieval castle. It looks like Colditz. And, uh, and he said, oh, it's the prison. I said, man, what's, that's like. You know what's uh, what's stopping the prisoners from just maybe jumping over the fence, for instance? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, they're so like, yeah. And um, Pastor Martelli just said this. Well, where were they going to go? <laughs> and what generally happens is the prison, if the prisoners do escape, and they regularly do escape, and they get back to their village and their family just go, "What are you supposed to do? What are you here? You're supposed to be in prison. Go back to prison." And they're like, oh. and they go back to prison. Hey, how's everyone? You know, and the policemen see them. Hey, you're supposed to be in prison because all the policemen know who's supposed to be in prison at the moment and who's not in prison at the moment. They, hey, you, you're not, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be in prison. And instead of just arresting them and, you know, they send them back to court, they just bang them on the head, boom, like that, and they put them back in prison. Uh, and, uh, you know, the reality is this. Uh, we could just jump over the fence anytime we want, but where are you going to go? The issue isn't, the issue is, you know, all those things that are holding you back. Oh, you know, Pastor Jordan, you don't really understand. I'd live a a powerful life for Jesus, but all these things are holding me back. I've got all these issues. How many of you have got issues? Right, put your hands up. I know enough of you, you've got issues, right? Right, Uh, you know, uh, you've got issues. Poor Luca, so many tries, disallowed. (laughs) Brilliantly, brilliantly. But, um... What would you do if you didn't have those issues? Would you know what you'd do? Same thing you currently do. Because where are you going to go? Because your view of your whole life is so tiny anyway. If you could break free from the things that hold you back, like your insecurity. Let's say you could break free from insecurity. Well, what are you going to do without it? What are you going to do now? Yay! You jumped the fence. Oh, but I've got all these financial issues. Well, what if you had all the money you need? Did the world change? No. It didn't change. You just got all the money you need. See, the issue is not your issues. The issue is how big is the island you live on? Because we're all living on this little rock wondering why we've got no plan. We've got no drive in our life. And the reality is the children of Israel got busted out of Egypt. And then for 40 years, all they did was piss God off by wandering around in the desert complaining about the food. See, you're no use as a Christian if you got saved and then you just wander around in your life complaining about the things God sends your way. Oh, I've got, been a Christian now for 25 years. For 25 years, I've been turning up at church here and there, changing church when I get pissed off. Uh, you know, going, you know, uh, you know, for 25 years, I've been praying, praying for this and praying for that. For 25 years, I've been complaining about not getting healed. For 25 years, I've been complaining about not having enough money. For 25 years, I've been complaining about having crazy eyes. For 25 
25 years I've been having, complaining about having the wrong color hair. For 25 years I've been complaining about being too fat. For 25 years I've been complaining about being too thin. Well, do you know what? Who cares? Just jump the fence and swim for it. There's a whole big world that God's calling you to, and you've got to enter into it. The issue is not getting out of Egypt. Oh, you know, well, yeah, but I've got my, this is my job. Oh, yeah, but, you know, you don't, Jordan, you don't understand the family I'm from. You know, as long as it's a family, it's the same as all the others, right? As long as it's a family, it's terrible, right? As long as it's family, it's annoying, right? Everybody's family holds them back somehow. You know, some of my richest friends from rich, rich families struggle to be everything God's called them to be because they've got so much money. Oh, and other people struggle to, oh, my struggle's because I've got no money. Do you know, it's really hard to do what you really feel if all your family can see for you is one thing or the other. It's just as hard, it's just as hard for the kid from Kandala to do their unique call in life as it is for the kid from a gang family. Because as long as your family just sees one thing for you, oh, no, you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to make a whole lot of money. Well, what if you're not called to be that? What if that's not God's plan for your life? Well, it doesn't matter. you just got to jump the fence. you just got to escape the farm, right, and run for it, swim for it. Just pick out the sunset on the horizon and swim across the ocean because God's got something big for you that you need to enter in. Now, the problem with the children of Israel is that they got, God breaks them out of Egypt through miracles. And it's always, it always begins with miracles. It always begins with miracles. God sends Moses, and Moses turns a, a, a stick into a snake. It's just the best story ever. All these cool things happen, all these plagues. There's frogs everywhere at one point. There's ant, gnats everywhere at one point. There's locusts that destroy the Egyptians. And what it was, it was God was sweeping through the nation of Egypt and destroying all of their strength positions. Everything that they relied on, God was sweeping out of the way so that he could pull his people out. And you've got to understand this. When Jesus died on the cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. It is finished. God has swept aside all of the strength positions that the enemy held over you. Jesus has taken upon himself all of your unrighteousness. He's taken upon himself all of your willful sin, all of your rebellion against God, all of your disobedience of God. Jesus has taken it upon himself and he's died in your place. So the penalty for your sin, which should have been recompensed to you, was recompensed to Christ. And Christ died in your place, he died in my place, a substitutionary death on on the cross so that when God sees us from heaven, He sees the righteousness of His Son. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son. He doesn't see our sin. If we've responded to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm making you the Lord of my life. I'm going to do everything I can to follow you. If the revelation of God has truly impacted our spirit and the grace of God is connected with us, all of our sins, the Bible says, have been washed as white as snow. Do you know God takes our sin and He forgets it? Annoying people ask this question about God. You know, if God's so powerful, could God make a stone, a rock, so big that even He couldn't lift it? And the only answer to that question is, don't be stupid, right? If God was so stupid, would He make a rock so big that even He couldn't lift it? Because the reality of God is, yes, He can. 
the God who knows everything is powerful enough to forget one thing. There's one thing God can forget. There's just one thing he can forget. He can forget your sin. He can forget my sin. When you think about salvation, I don't know how you think about it. Maybe you were in a room like this and someone preached a message just like I preached. You know, God can take your sin away. And maybe something stirred in your heart. Nearly everyone I know, when they respond to the gospel, they can't remember what the preacher said. Just about everyone I talk to, they can't remember what the preacher said because it's got nothing to do with the, the eloquence of the preaching. It's got the declaration of who Jesus is. And then what happens is the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of people. And what happens is someone preaches with faith and eternity sparks in heart. That's why people can respond to Jesus on Revolution Tour. I've, I've seen people respond to Jesus and I've seen their life transformed afterwards by responding to Jesus while texting their friend. Why? Because what's going on in, in your heart is that God regenerates your spirit. God just grabs your heart. I don't know about you, but God just grabbed my heart when I was a young man. God just grabbed my heart. The reality of who Jesus is just grabs our heart. And when we make that, when that transaction takes place, God takes all of our sin and he puts it in the sea of his forgetfulness. He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west which is a, a, a way of saying as far as, uh, further than is possible in our human conception, God removes our sin from us. So when we respond to Jesus, we, I don't know how you think about it. You know, maybe some, close your eyes, bow your heads. That's how we normally do it. In church, we ask people to close their eyes. We ask them to bow their heads. Uh, and then we say, well, no one's looking. You can put your hand up. Or, or maybe you, respond, you responded by coming down the front and the keyboard player played something holy. But when I, th- when I think about what salvation is really like, I think of like Gonzo from the Muppets. How many people like Gonzo? Okay, just me and the two fellas there. The, um, I don't even know if it's Gonzo. I'm thinking of, you know, there's this guy on the Muppets. There's this guy, there's all the guys on the Muppets, right? And stuff's happening. There's, no, 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 not the animal. Thank you for helping. I appreciate that. I appreciate that helping. Yeah. <laughs> People don't help me much because they, they get mocked, and they do. But uh, There's a guy who keeps appearing. Like, um, If anyone says anything that might sound like an explosion, he says, did someone say TNT? And just goes boom and blows something up. That's salvation. Thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> Here's the reality is this. I heard this morning, someone was talking to me about an explosion that happened in World War II, right? Uh, you know, World War I, the tunnelers in World War I, the Anzacs, they, they dug for two years, for two years in Mazines, not Arthur Corey and other Mazines in France. They dug, the, the British diggers dug tunnels underneath the German positions. For two years they dug, uh, right down under... And they dug really quietly, and they listened for the Germans. With like the doctors, when it was quiet, they dig, and they dug underneath the German positions. And then they let off an explosion so big that ten thousand German soldiers were killed in one explosion. Right? It completely defeated the Germans on the Western Front. And this is in Mazines in France. And when they fight, when they fired the explosions all at once, it could be physically felt in London. 
That's what I think of when I think of salvation. What happens when the gospel of God grabs our heart, something just goes boom. Something just shifts inside of us. Something just breaks inside of us. When we see the picture of the the Israelites, what happened is the whole Egyptian economy was destroyed by God to the point that the Pharaoh said, just get out, just go. And then they left Egypt and they left with all of the wealth of Egypt and they're making their way to the promised land. And the very first obstacle was a giant sea and God just opened it up in front of them and they marched right through. It's a massive transition, a massive explosion, a massive change that takes place in our world in one moment. But, but the very next place we find ourselves is in the wilderness. And the whole story of the children of Israel All of the drama, all of the tension, all of the frustration, all of the moments that led to God himself going, man, I'm not going to let these people in. They're driving me crazy. It wasn't, there was no problem. They were were completely set free from Egypt. All of the problems now were inside the Israelites. Here's my point. There's no problem apart from the problem inside you. There's no fence. There's just a problem inside of you. There's stuff going on inside you that needs to change. For the children of Israel, for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. For 40 years, they wandered in the desert. And out of all of the people who left Israel, left Egypt, 3 million people left Egypt. It's supposed to take 12 days to walk to Israel, to the promised land. It took 40 years, and of all of the people who left Egypt, there's only two people who made it to the promised land. God waited until a whole new generation was born. And he took a whole three million and two different people into the promised land. The question you've got to ask yourself is, how are you going to live your Christian life? Because God just goes boom on the cross. When Jesus stretched his arms out, the world went dark in the middle of the day. An earthquake shook Jerusalem. All of the dead saints of Israel rose and wandered through the streets. Like it's a special moment when that happens, right? That happened 2,000 years ago. There's no problems now. There's no fence now. There's no wall now. There's nothing separating you from the love of God. There's nothing holding you back from your destiny. The only problem is the attitudes, the things that are going on inside of you, the mindsets that are holding you back, the slave mentality that still wraps around you, the insecurity from your childhood, the pain from your, the abuse you suffered, the disfigurement of sin that's grabbed a hold of you, your addiction to your old problems, your old ways. Those are the only things holding you back, and they all live inside you. It's not your church holding you back. It's not your family holding you back. It's not your job holding you back. It's not money holding you back. It's not the government holding you back. It's just you. It's just you and it's just your unbelief. It's your inability to believe that you could go anywhere beyond where you currently wander, that you could break through into anything other than just moving around and collecting the doll. Do you know Christians, Christians who've got good jobs and they make a lot of money live a, a, live a social welfare faith. I'll turn up at church and I'll be encouraged. 
I'll get a little handout from the worship leader. Here's a little bit of faith from the worship leader. You get a little bit of faith from the hosting team, a little bit of love from the children's leaders. Maybe not. At the start of the service, eh? Not, not at the end. And then the preacher will have something for me. Now, I pray to God that we've always got something for you. But wouldn't it be better if you earned your own food? Wouldn't it be better if you killed your own, killed your own enemies? Because you're not called to just live off what I can deliver to you. You're called to come to church to see that, man, there's a whole bright thing out there. This is what it comes down to. It comes down to one word, one phrase, and one sentence. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Maddie's going to throw it up. I want you to read this. Now, this is 40 years after they left Egypt. Question you've got to ask yourself, are you going to wait and hope that your children live a life of faith, or are you choosing to live a life of faith yourself? Oh, you don't understand, Jordan, I've got a smoking issue. You don't have a smoking issue. It's not an issue. It's just not an issue. It's not able to stop you from entering the promised land. Smoking might cause you cancer. It's not going to stop you from living a life of faith. Right? You'll live a shorter life of faith. You can still live a life of faith. Right? All your friends will think you're stupid, but you'll still be able to live a life of faith, right? Oh, I've got this sin issue. I've got that sin issue. Come on. The question is, are you going to live in faith and believe wherever I'm standing right now, I can see the promised land and I'm moving into it? This is what Joshua did. Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says that they had a next spirit. In the Hebrew, it says that Joshua and Caleb had a next spirit, not a now spirit. They had a next spirit. Don't, don't let your spirit be dependent by now. Allow your spirit to be dependent upon next. That's why people prophesy over you. They're trying to put into you a next spirit. But you keep, what happens is we hear a sermon like this that says, it's about next. It's about beyond. It's about swimming across an ocean, not knowing where we're going. It's about a faith that says, whatever I've come from is not my destination. I'm moving into what God's got for me. And we keep reducing it back to now. But I don't know how that works. Do you know what? It doesn't work now. You've got to have a next spirit. Joshua and Caleb wander for 40 years and they watch all of their friends die. And then Joshua gets given the job of leading the new children of Israel into the promised land. And this is what he says. Joshua chapter, uh, I said one, but it's actually Joshua chapter three, verse one. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove. This is what Pastor Joe preached last week. And they arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. If the Red Sea was a picture of baptism, the Jordan River is a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a baptism of leaving slavery. It's a baptism of entering into the next. Three days later, the Israelite officers went throughout the camp. All the E-group leaders, all the E-team leaders, they went throughout the camp giving these instructions. And I'm issuing these instructions to you. This is what we're on about as a church. This is what we're doing. When you see the priests carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, move. When you see God move, move. Move from where you're camped. Move from the places you think you have to stay. Move from your small mindset. Move from your failure. Move from being stupid. Move from foolishness. Move from scoffing at the Word of God. Move. 
When you see the priests move, move. When the worship leader dances, dance bigger. When the eager leader says, we could believe for an unsaved friend, believe for two unsaved friends. When you see God move, when He speaks to you in your quiet time, allow the Spirit of God to touch you and move you. Move. Move from where you're camping. Move from your position and follow them. Follow God. Follow the Spirit. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them keeping a clear distance between you and the ark of God. Make sure you don't come any closer. Verse 5, Joshua told the people this. Purify yourselves. Egypt was sin. This is 40 years later. The Red Sea was deliverance from the land of sin. And they wandered, 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 until a leader stood up and said, come on, now is the time where we voluntarily, willingly, honestly, and openly say, we are here for God. We are God's people entering into a promised land. And this is where we say, God, we are going to purify ourselves. Two different ways you can translate this. Purify yourselves. The other translation is this one. Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do great wonders among you. Just leave that verse there, Maddie. How sanctification worked and purification worked in the law, which is what they were thinking of. How it worked was this. If you touched a dead body, maybe a dead animal, most of the time, only you know. Right? And so what you had to do when you were outside the law, this is the law of Moses, you would go to the temple and do you know what you would do? You would sanctify yourself or purify yourself. They'd wash your hands in a certain way. You'd make sacrifice and atonement for sin. And do you know what you would do if you were an Israelite? You would walk away purified. Where, where, what's going on in your world? What have you been watching? What have you been doing? You, you could read that and think, oh man, I've got to stay pure. I've got to, I've got to stay holy. It's not what Joshua said. He just said, purify yourself now. Just now. Some people come to church, oh, I feel so guilty. Well, don't feel guilty. Purify yourself. Well, well how? Well, come to God. Say, here I am, God. This is what's going on in my world. I thank you for what? The sacrifice of Christ. That washes me as white as snow. Sets me free. And then how do you stand then? 
is then purified, sanctified by the blood of Christ. Oh, but what if I made the mistake again? Do you know what? When you make a mistake again, sanctify yourself. Oh, but I don't. I, I keep making the mistake over and over again. Probably you keep making the mistake over and over again, actually, because you don't stop and sanctify. If you're making the mistake over and over again, you need to go and see the priest. Who, who's the priest? The priest is actually, in nowadays, is anyone who will stand in between you and God for you and help you understand. In, in our church, e-group leader, e-team leader, or pastor, simple as that. But it can be a real good friend. Problem then is, sometimes you just encourage each other in stupidity and sin. <laughs> Come on, we've all been that friend. Right? That's why God gives us leaders. That's why I have people to, who look out for me. That's why, we, that's why we can look out for each other. Purify ourselves. Why? Do you know why? Here's the thing. Religion tells you, purify yourself so that you can be acceptable. Purify yourself so that God doesn't rain down judgment upon your evil head. Right? But Joshua says, purify yourself because God's about to do an awesome miracle. And you want to be part of it. Purify yourself because we're about to enter in. And come on, let's all go this time. Let's not anyone get left behind. Let's not anyone wander in the desert. You have the option of wandering in the desert until you die or purifying yourself and enter in. Oh, but I've got this addiction. I've got this problem. Come on, let's sort it out. Oh, but it might take ages. Do you know what? It might take forever. But let's be entering in with our issues, not wandering around with them. If we're going to have an issue, let's enter into promise with the issue rather than wandering around with the issue. You can make it last your whole life or you can live in faith. There's three D words I'm going to tell you about sanctification, about purification. I'm just going to tell you these words. These are the three points of my actual sermon. Number one is diet. Got to feed yourself different. Number two is dress. You've got to dress different. What do you? What attitude are you wearing? What 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 spirit do you carry? And you've got to have a different devotion. A diet, a dress, and a different devotion. Do you want to enter into God's promise? Come on, adjust your diet. What are you feeding yourself on? 90s playlists on Spotify? It won't get you into the promised land. It can, you can pass the day with that. But there's other things to listen to on Spotify that will actually feed your spirit in a powerful way. Uh, 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 do you have a Bible? Do you read the Bible? Are you not a very good reader? Do you get busy? Listen to the Bible for free on the Bible app. Allow it into your world. Get a different diet. Get a different dress. Just change. Could you change your clothes? Do, do you smell a bit? Maybe. Do you smell a bit like where you've been, what you've been doing in your life? Maybe you just need to change how you dress. Dress is your behavior. It's how you carry yourself. Just change it. Oh, it's really hard to change your behavior. Do you know what? I know really hard it's really really hard 
right? Oh, it's really hard to change my clothes, you know? But do you know what? You have to do it. Oh, but, I, but I'm so used to wearing this old T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, but it's an old T-shirt. Oh, I'm so, I, just, I just feel more comfortable in these tracksuit pants from the warehouse. It cost me $8. Right? Yeah, you don't have to wear them forever, though. Right? They've got thin at the back. People can see undies. Change them. Oh, but I just, you know how many, how many people got those clothes? That, the clothes that look the worst on you feel the best. And sometimes the clothes that feel the worst look the best. When I ever put my suit jacket on for the warehouse, because 150 bucks, that suit jacket, I always get heaps more done at work, right? <laughs> Smashing it out. Yeah. Whenever I go to work in a t-shirt, I get nothing done. Right, because the way you dress affects how you live. Why do you, come on, what are you wearing? Maybe some of you actually even need to change your actual clothes. And, and, and when you're putting on a, that new t-shirt, new jumper, whatever, think, man, I'm putting on a new way of living. I'm putting on a new set of behaviors and a new devotion. What, what would it look like? What would it look like if you put as much time in prayer and devotion as you put in to Netflix? It would look different, eh? I, I chose that one for myself. series on Netflix across three nights 12 hours of programming come on well you can read a lot of chapters of the Bible in 12 hours well I don't have any time Jordan I I just don't have the time to read the Bible I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting you have the time to read the Bible without changing things amen amen okay that's John let's leave the line another one on Netflix Jordan you're okay um Hebrews 11.6, Maddie, throw this up. It's impossible to please God. Don't put the full stop there. It's impossible to please God without perfect holiness. Is that what it says? It's impossible to please God without accurate understanding of Scripture. It's not what it says. It's impossible to please God without very well-written praise and worship music. It's impossible to please God without colorful lights. It's impossible to please God without arguing with non-Christians about creation versus evolution. It's impossible to please God without being able to have a come up with a good answer to the question about the rock that's too big for God to lift. It, no, it doesn't say any of that. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God and still smoke. It's, it doesn't say it's impossible to please God and still drink. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God and still struggle with personal hygiene issues. It says this. It's impossible to please God without faith. And I'm saying this, there's two things we've got to learn about faith. Number one, we need to believe that God exists. It's easy to believe that God exists. And we've got to believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. It's the second part that stops you reading your Bible, pressing it to God. It's the second part that stops you giving financially. We all believe that God exists, but will we give financially? No, because we don't believe that He rewards people who seek Him. The people who give, the people I know who give, and I've got some friends who give, like give like crazy give. 50% of their income type givers. They believe the same thing about whether God exists as I do, but they believe different things about how God rewards. They've learned, they've, they've got to know God different to I have because of their faith. 
Come on, what could God, what could God do if you just began to seek Him? What would it look like if you were to seek God? Some of you straight away thought of books you need to start reading. What would it look like for you to seek God? Some of you straight away thought of non-Christian friends you could pray for. Because that's how you would seek God. What would it look like to seek God? Some of you thought about candles early in the morning. And devotion. What would it look like to seek God? Some of you thought, just thought about doing so great as, your, as a parent. Man, seeking God would be about getting on top of my own problems so that I could be a great leader in my family. What would it look like for you to seek God? Just close your eyes, bow your heads with me. We're going to pray in just a second, but before we do, I want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus for salvation. Perhaps you hear, we we try and create this opportunity as many times as the sermon's short enough to fit it in at the end. If you're here this evening and you've not made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, if you're here this morning and you've, You've not opened your heart to God and said, God, I actually need your help. Ben. When we respond to Jesus, He sets us free. When we invite Jesus into our world, He washes us as white as snow. He takes all of our sin from us and He gives us His righteousness, His holiness. If you're here tonight and you've never responded to Jesus before, maybe you've never taken an opportunity to say, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'd love you to do it tonight if you've never done that before. If you're ready to make that sort of a decision to say, yeah, I'm going to give my life to following God. I'm going to give my life to seeking Him. I'm going to trust in Him for salvation. Perhaps you're here and you've, maybe you've made that decision in the past, but for whatever reason, you, you, maybe you've walked away from God and you've forgotten about following Him. Could I urge you tonight, why don't you recommit your life to Him? Why don't you rededicate your life to God? By lifting your hand and praying a prayer. Lifting your hand to make a decision saying, I'm going to make Jesus the center of my world. And praying a prayer, asking Him to forgive your sin and choosing to follow Him. If that's you tonight, while well, everyone else has got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, just shoot your hand up right in the air, high in the air for me, so that I can see it. Say, so, yeah, that's me tonight. I'm making this decision. That's so good. Who else is making this decision tonight to say, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus the center of my world? You know, trust me, when you make this decision, the dynamite goes off. God blows things up, breaks you free, sets you free from the power of Satan and sin and death. Just one more time, if there's anyone else, shoot your hand up if you want to join with the other person person who's responded, say, yeah, I'm making that decision tonight to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior. Awesome. Can we pray together, church? I'll pray a line and then we'll all pray it together. Here we go. Dear God, thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you that you extend it to me. And today I choose to receive it. I ask you to forgive me, God, for every mistake that I've made, every issue, Lord God, every time I've rebelled against you, every time I've disobeyed you. I thank you, God, that you wash me whiter than snow. I'm choosing today 
to follow you. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This is a powerful decision. Every time, every time we pray that prayer in church, in church, I pray that prayer. God, I'm centering my life around you. But I really believe there's a new season. There's a new season ahead of you. There's a new season ahead of me. And it's on the other side of purification. It's on the other side of this river, conveniently called the Jordan River. It makes it easily personalized for me. Oh, maybe God's speaking to me. It's on the other side of saying, hey, God, I'm going to do something today to prepare myself for tomorrow. What would it look like? Just in your mind, I want you to decide right now. Thanks, man. What would it look like for you to earnestly seek God? Is it the same as what you're doing now? Or is something shifting even as I'm talking? Where you can feel something say, oh man, I'd love to get a hold of God in a different way. You know, this story in the Bible is that Jacob meets God face to face. And he grabs hold of God. And they wrestled. Sort of like, wow, crazy. And Jacob, the man, refused to let let go of his hold on God. He refused to let go of God until God blessed him. I think we need, I think we need that, I can feel that attitude filling me. Saying, yeah, God, I'm refusing to let go. And so just maybe close your eyes and bow your heads. And I, I just want to give you a chance to respond if you're saying, yeah, I want to earnestly seek. I'm going to give you a moment. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And, I, and, and I'm asking you to do that because I want it to be slightly embarrassing so that as you stand, you can feel yourself making the decision where you say, man, God, speak to me about what needs to change in my world. Are we just going to stay on the Hoentaro behind a three-wire fence or are we going to jump out of where we're camped? Are we going to move from our position? And say, God, I'm going to take a small step today, and I'm going to take a small step tomorrow. I'm going to take a small step on Tuesday. If that's you, why don't you stand to your feet right now, and let's pray together. Lift your hands. God, we're choosing to earnestly seek you. Lord, we're choosing to reach out to you.